Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good to see you all. My name is Mark. I serve as the pastor here. Uh, if I haven't met you, I'd love to after the, after the gathering. Um, if you want to come on in and uh, take a seat here, we're going to be um, turning our attention this morning into Luke chapter 11. We're going to draw our attention into verses 1 through 13. So if you would, if you have your Bibles with you, would you open them up to Luke chapter 11, 11 verse 1 through 13. And it's really convenient and helpful that we just recited the Lord's Prayer because our passage today covers the Lord's Prayer. So it's fitting, it's helpful that we did that, but it also goes beyond that. And Luke's prayer that Jesus gives is slightly different, so I'm excited for us to kind of talk about that. Um, so it's a little bit different, so if you're trying to recite it with me as I read it, you'll notice some slight differences there. But the difference and the reason why it was Luke does this is because he's writing into an audience to which we've titled this whole sermon series off of. This is a story for sinners and sufferers. And Luke's approach to this moment is to address an audience of people who are caught in sin, who are in desperate need of a Savior, and people who are suffering. And so it's helpful, it's really exciting to, to see this. So to a person who has much to be saved from, this is a passage for them. For, this, for someone who feels the weight of sin, this is for you. Regardless of whether or not we're reading Matthew or re reading Luke's gospel, the church has always recited the Lord's Prayer. If there was one prayer it is uh, that we would call the prayer, this one is it. And we just have to be really thankful to this one random disciple who had the thought to ask Jesus how to pray. Like, if you kind of think about it, it's kind of funny and very obvious that someone should ask that, but it's a little counterintuitive. But nevertheless, we need to be thankful for whoever that was. It's still the greatest prayer of the church. Christians before us have used it for countless sermons to teach, and people have used it to teach basic doctrine. It's, it's in our church name, for crying out loud, the Hallows Church. We have it right up here. But I say all this because in, chapter, or in verses 1 through 13, Jesus goes beyond this prayer to call us and call attention to a deeper faith in which our prayer life exhibits our calling as children to come to the Father and rest in the love of the Beloved. We learn here that prayer is never meant to be mechanical, but personal. The prayer is meant to be fervent, it's meant to be thoughtful. It's meant to be dependent on God. So let's dive in. And let's first, I want us to look at the first section here, which is and kind of just taking the Lord's Prayer that we just prayed, kind of using that to, to move us into the pattern of prayer that Jesus provides us. So if you have your Bibles, if you could turn with me to ver, uh, chap, verses 1 through 4. That's where we're going to 
start. And this is the pattern of prayer that Jesus gives. It says, Now when Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So we'll just pause there and we'll kind of take that in. I remember I almost cried when I walked into the kitchen and I saw for the first time one of my kids doing the dishes. It's been a long road. It's been a lot of dishes. And I saw and I walked in and I saw, and Gabe, he was, he had, he was on a little footstool. He had Amy's bright pink rubber gloves up to his elbows. And he was just kind of had this little like pep, you know, and he was doing the dishes and he was putting it in. And I asked him, I said, dude, you're doing them. You know, what, what happened? How did you, you know, how did you take this on? And and he explained to me that, that Amy had said it's time that, you know, one of the kids start pulling their weight around here. I'm just kidding. That's not what she said. But <laughs> he, he expressed this kind of interest and we need to start doing chores. And so he told me that she, started, that she taught him how to do the dishes. And the connection point was that she taught him this pattern of steps of what to do. So he gets up, he puts on the gloves, scrapes the food off, rinses the dishes, puts them in the dishwasher. And this kind of pattern that he could do with every dish that was on there, because they broke in all of the other nice ones, it's all just plastic now, he, uh, he could do everything and just kind of keep, keep it going. And I was so excited to see this because I found myself just standing there, just watching him and admiring this, this new step in his life and this, this pattern that has significantly helped him. The Lord's Prayer could actually be called the Disciples' Prayer because it's this pattern that Jesus has given us to approach God. Jesus wouldn't have taught the Lord's Prayer if it didn't matter. Jesus didn't mean, he, he doesn't mean to limit us to these exact words. Rather, these words are a kind of pattern of priority that shape our prayer lives. So as Jesus is going to be talking about the depth of faith and how to utilize prayer to, to have that faith and to grow in that depth, we need to start and looking at the pattern that he gives us. So this first address that he shares is to dress God as Father. Prayer is something between the Father and his children. Prayer is the expression of the relationship that Jesus grants us. In Luke 10, verse 22, he says that no one who knows the Father uh, he says, no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and one whom the Son wants to reveal him. So we see immediately that the relationship 
of Jesus being the Son of God to God the Father is one that we find expressed in prayer. And to know God the Father is to know Jesus. Prayer is relational. It's a relationship that we see, and that's going to kind of, we're going to find that throughout this whole text. But what Jesus also shares is that prayer is also reverent. Jesus teaches his disciples to call God their Father and to know the honor of his name. That's what hallowed be, means. It means to honor. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come is to honor the preeminence of God's name. When we approach God, that's what we're doing when we say that. God is holy. We need to address him in that way. There's this example that God gives in, to, the, uh, to the Israelites in Ezekiel. And it, there was this pattern that Ezekiel was doing that I think is kind of very reminiscent of what we find um, when we find a lot of prayers just kind of loosely kind of spoken. Israel, when they were speaking to God, God wanted to reestablish the holiness of his name. Israel had ran God's name kind of through the mud, and God had disciplined them for it. But to the watching world, God's name, it didn't, it, because of this, it didn't really mean anything. But God wanted to put an end to that in Ezekiel verse thir chapter 36 when he addresses Israel, and this is what he says. He says, I will honor the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. The name you have profaned among them. The nations will know that I am the Lord. This is the declaration of the Lord God when I demonstrate my holiness through you in their sight. Friends, the same goes for us. The same goes for us. God is our Father, who we approach with honor because he is holy. And we want to see his kingdom come. But Jesus here, he doesn't just leave us there. He takes it deeper into understanding what that means. If God is our Father, and we are to, to see him and give him honor for his holiness, we need help to do that. We need help to do that because that's really hard. Every day we're confronted with misconstrued thoughts and notions of who God is. Every day seems to me like I'm, I'm, I'm reading my Bible and I'm seeing the truth of what Jesus presents to, to me and I am tempted yet to do the opposite. I'm tempted to, to ignore God as my Father and I'm tempted to not see Him as holy as He is. So we come to Him and to help us with that, Jesus is calling us to a personal prayer life. And a personal prayer life sets us into the rest of the prayer, which is because we are God's children, we are called to ask him 
for our daily needs, for the things that we have. That's super challenging when we live in a, a really comfortable environment where food is most likely going to be given to us, where we are able to get it very conveniently. But we're supposed to ask for it and look at all of our needs, not just our, our daily bread, but all of our daily needs. And because he is holy, we are called to ask for forgiveness. Because he is honored, we are called to ask for his protection. Jesus' pattern of prayer reminds us of the God we are praying to. And it keeps us from wandering all over the place when we sit down to be in his presence. It's God-given direction that reconciles our tension, that reconciles our tension of discipleship. On the one hand, when we approach God, when we come to him in prayer, we recognize that we're sinners in need of forgiveness. Unable to spiritually and physically provide what we need for ourselves. And frequently, we face temptations. And yet, we are to come to the Father to ask and to receive all that we need. But here, I, like, I, love, this, I love this turning point because we get to see this we get to see this Lord's Prayer, but then Jesus doesn't just stop there. Again, this audience is to, to sinners and sufferers, just like you and me, who are going through things, who are carrying burdens, who are walking with anxieties, and who don't really know what their future holds. Remember, I've said this a, a couple of times if you've been walking with us in Luke, if you've been journeying with us in Luke, Jesus is on the road. He's on the road to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. The disciples who are walking with him don't really know what that means. So, if your future is confusing or you're unsure of what's coming before you, this is a perfect place for you to be. You're closer to the disciples than you think you are. And here, Jesus moves his focus from that Lord's Prayer to dive in to share this parable of two friends. And he explains the persistence of prayer in how we approach God. So we're going to take this in chunks, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 8 first. So let me draw your attention there. It says, He also said to, him, said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, Yet, because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So, I'll be honest. 
that parable took me like a week to figure out what Jesus was talking about. That, it, I was, it just took a lot of study to kind of work this out for me. If you figured it out really quickly, that's awesome. And I hope it makes sense because I'll explain it out here. But if you're a little confused, don't worry. When Jesus is, is talking and he's doing this, there's a couple of cultural things that are going to help us out here. The two cultural pieces of this parable is first the bread. Because three loaves doesn't seem like, like that much food, like it's a lot for one person, but three loaves of bread was an enormous amount of food for two people. One loaf of bread would be shared and kind of split and shared within a whole family. Right? And so Jesus is just taking this massive amount of food and he's kind of dramatizing the scene with it. But the second role here that I want us to focus on is that of hospitality. It's a, for us, for someone to come at midnight, that may seem reasonable. But it was a big deal to turn down someone at their home in Middle Eastern culture. This was a huge deal, and this was really embarrassing for someone to do. So we have those two things. Hospitality, really big deal. Bread, it's a lot of food, right? But to modernize the parable, I think it'd be helpful. I'm going to use John here as my example. Yeah, John. So John is a very hospitable guy. I know this because I've gone over to his house a bunch of times. Now, John, let's just say, John at night, the president of Brazil, arrives at his door, and he needs to feed this president of Brazil. And it becomes like midnight, and so John, he's thinking, I've run out of food, I need to go get some. So he comes to my house. It's midnight, everybody's asleep, everyone's, you know, you know, in bed, and he knocks on my door, and he just keeps knocking and keeps knocking. He doesn't text. He doesn't try to call. He's just there, all of a sudden. And obviously, my suspicions are up, but I figure out that it's John. And when I come up to him, and, I, and I, he says to me, Mark, the president of Brazil is at my house right now. To feed him, I need your entire Costco run that you just did today. I need it all because I need to supply him with what, what he needs. What would my answer be? You are out of your mind, <laughs> right? Or, to, to actually phrase this better, a, a saying I would probably say is, you've got some nerve. Now that, that phrase, nerve, you've got some nerve, that is the word anadiah that the Greek uses for shameless boldness. We don't really have one word to describe anadiah, but what we do have is what our text reads, which is shameless boldness. It's not really a good thing. It's kind of just shameless boldness, right? We have to use two words to put it together to say anadiah. But I would say, you've got some shameless boldness, right? That's what I would be, that's what I would probably say. But, because you're here, and you're my friend, and I'll be embarrassed if I send you away at midnight, come in, and you can take what you need, and then you need to go. So Jesus is giving that kind of, that's like a modernized telling of this kind of parable, right? But in comparison, what I want us to do is not to see 
Not, the comparison is not between the neighbor and God, but the petitioner and us. This isn't about trying to compare God in this house. And when we approach God, he says, you've got some nerve coming to me. The parable that Jesus is sending, is giving us, is to show us that we can be like the petitioner. Jesus is saying that a believer's persistence in prayer and our anodiah, the shameless boldness, will not ever, ever be met with, you've got some nerve. Don't bother me. We are allowed the shameless boldness of coming before the Father in prayer. And one error that I've heard, just kind of over the course of of my time as a Christian is understanding God's sovereignty. That God is sovereign, so let his will be done. Which is true. But, Jesus is stressing here that our prayers and boldness does matter. It isn't one that we just to say, God is sovereign, let his will be done, therefore I can just kind of go on and ignore it. Jesus is calling us to a boldness in prayer and giving us the confidence that no matter the situation, God the Father will hear. God the Father will be available. God is not coerced by our position as his children and his disciples. It's from our position as his children we are granted boldness to come. However needy we might be, his answer to our prayers won't be wrung out of him. God is never inconvenienced by you. And I'd like to say that again. God is never inconvenienced by you. That could be a lie that you potentially hear. But it is a lie. Jesus is calling us to a personal prayer life where we recognize that we are children of the Father. But Jesus is also calling us from that position as his children to a fervent prayer life. In verses 9 and 10, he, he finishes the parable by backing it up even further, where he says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who, who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So, but... You might be reading this and you might be asking to yourself, what about unanswered prayers? Right? What about unanswered prayers? Is God not listening or is he just not answering? 
I normally kind of find myself when I'm in a, in a hard time, or, I'm, or even if I'm just going through kind of one of those dry seasons of my faith, I find myself in a tension between those two questions. Or between, is God not listening or is he not answering? I kind of find myself in between that. But something I want you to see is that Jesus never mentioned unanswered prayer. Because he was certain that prayer is always answered. Oswald Chambers says, God answers prayers in the best way. Not sometimes, but every time. Although the immediate sign of the answer in the way we want may not always follow. God is always answering our prayers. It may not be in the way that we think or we expect it to be. But Jesus never mentioned or talked about unanswered prayers for a reason. But another, but a warning, friends, when we think about praying fervently, when we're caught maybe between those tensions, a warning is that for the disciple, for the Christian, active disobedience of sin clouds prayer. Active disobedience of sin clouds and muddies the discernment and the direction of the Holy Spirit. Sin clouds our recognition of the Spirit's ministry and the prompts within us, and it distorts our discernment. So pray fervently. Jesus is reassuring you to come to the Father so that your prayers will be answered. One of the best examples I see of, a, of fervent prayer in the scriptures is Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel. Last year we covered 1 Samuel and we walked through that and, and I still think about Hannah's prayer often. Her prayer was so fervent and so passionate from the soul that she had no thought to what she even physically looked like when she was praying. Like, it did not matter to her. And she confused Eli the priest, who he thought she was drunk when she was praying, but her response is so helpful to us. 1 Samuel 1, verse 15 through 17, it reads, as, Samuel, or as Eli accuses her of being drunk, she says, No, my Lord, I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. And Eli responded, Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him. That's, that's fervent prayer. Coming to God with a broken heart, you will be met in the arms of a loving Father. Praying from the depth of your anguish and resentment, that's personal. That's not superficial. 
And that's a, there's a fervency within that. Hannah brought everything to the table. We can bring everything to the table. And it leads me to my second dynamic of, of persistent prayer, which is the first is if we're praying fervently. The second is to pray thoughtfully. Jesus is calling us to a thoughtful prayer life. Now, now, thoughtful prayers, that kind of sounds like an obvious statement. It is entirely possible to pray without really knowing what you're thinking about. It is entirely possible to pray without sincerity, to pray without thoughtfulness. In Matthew 6, Jesus explained this just before he gives Matthew's take on the Lord's, on the Lord's prayer. Because the, the disciples are confronted with two examples. Both of them are bad. Jesus is pointing to the Pharisees and he's saying, they're hypocrites. Because when they're praying, they have all of this eloquence and they're standing up in public and they're, they're giving these long prayers and yet they're dead inside. Their words are not connecting to their heart. Their words are not coming from their heart. Right? It's not thoughtful. It's hypocritical. But then he was looking at these, at these Gentiles who would just say the same thing over and over and over again. And it was kind of just this, this practice where they would just repeat the same thing. But their minds, their thoughts were not in it. It was not coming out of them. They would just kind of get into this trance-like thing and they would just keep saying it over and over. Now, you can say words over and over, but Jesus is saying... That for it to be thoughtful, it's got to come from you. It's got to come out of you. So Jesus says to them in Matthew 6, he says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. But then he changes it and he approaches to the Gentiles. He says, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. When, now, remember, when your father knows the things you need before you ask him. So fight, friends, that tendency, if you have it, to say, the Lord is sovereign, I don't need to pray about anything because he knows. No, come to him in boldness with the confidence that the father does know. But to this point, a thoughtful prayer means that Christians must be real. We've got to be real. Approaching God with fervency, with thoughtfulness. And I was just thinking, and I, as I was reflecting on that, I thought to myself that the, the quickest way to detach my prayers from my life is to depersonalize God. 
If I can believe that God is not my father and that he is detached from my life, he's like out there, then my prayers are not going to be coming from the heart. They are going just to be repetitive words. It's going to be babbling. The quickest way to detach your prayers from your life is to depersonalize and detach yourself from Him. Make God abstract. And if you make Him out there, that is what they will become. But Jesus is calling us to a relationship that's deeper and so much greater. A prayer life that reflects his own reverence. In Hebrews 5, it says that during his earthly life, Jesus' earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. And that, friends, is offered to us. Loud cries are welcomed and heard and answered. In taking on Christ's fervency and thoughtfulness, we believe him when he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. But let me draw your attention to this last part, which is verses 11 through 13 where we discover the provision of prayer. It says, he goes on to ask, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, he will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I'm, I had this, um, I was burned by this friend when I was a kid who every time he would want to like play or something, he would trick me. And as soon as I got close, he would practice like a karate move on me. He'd be like, hey, come on over here. Do you want to check out this thing? Wham! And he would hit me as soon as I got close. And I remember when he, when he lost my trust was when one time he was like, hey, Mark, do you see the little ant on the ground? And I was like, what's that? And he went, wham! And he hit my face. Not cool. Not a good friend, right? And I immediately like, lost my trust in him. I couldn't express that as a kid, but I was just like, him equals bad. Equals not friend. <laughs> not going to trust what he says. And each of us can kind of have, well, will have, not kind of, will have moments in our life when we're confronted with someone who says one thing and then gives the opposite. Trust is so integral to relationships, right? Trust is so integral to relationships. And when broken, it really clouds and makes the, the relationship difficult. And Jesus here is saying, 
that your heavenly Father will constantly do you good and give you the best answers to your prayers. And yet we have such a hard time believing that, don't we? God is constantly doing us good. And he is giving us the best answers to our prayers. And so to combat our difficulty that we will have with that, he gives us himself. I think the beautiful thing about verse 13 is he says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Our deepest answer for which we need in every element and moment in our life is God himself. And God knows that, and so he gives us himself for that purpose. He gave his son on the cross, and he gives us his spirit for daily living. And the the beautiful thing about this is that any time your a, a, a physical trusted relationship breaks or is at fault. We are to never put that type of relationship in God because God is not devious or difficult. He's our provider. He provides for us. I don't know if you guys know uh, um, a man named George Mueller, George Mueller was this, uh, he's best known for his, in the 19th century for his prayers and his orphanages. He lived in England during this time when orphans were like Oliver Twist, when they were in like horrible conditions and they were in like, stayed in workhouses and stuff. And it was, and he has, you know, documented that, you know, he cared for as many as 2,000 orphans at a time. But this is, the, this is the crazy part. He never made his needs known to anyone except God in prayer. He never made any of his needs known except to God in prayer. And people only learned about how many prayers were answered at the end of his year reports as he would, he would document them. And the cool thing is that we get to look back on this and we get to see an example of someone who, who really trusted that God was providing. In his records, he has over 50,000 specific prayers, there are specific answers to prayer. 30,000 which were recorded as, answer, as answered in the same day. The same day that he prayed them. That's 500 answers to prayer each year. That's more than one prayer being answered per day, every day, for 60 years. Is that not wild? That is wild. But George Mueller is not someone who God just specifically answered his prayer to. That's to all of us. The scriptures speak to all of us to all of God's children. 
who want to come before him. George Mueller documented it. That's what's helpful. And there were also days that he struggled to pray. What comes along with all of those answered prayers are also moments where he really struggled, where he looked at his external circumstances and his odds seemed totally against him. But he set out to practice what Jesus offered. Christian, set out to practice what Jesus offers. Set out to follow him. Jesus calls us to a dependent prayer life. Jesus is calling us to a deeper faith in which our prayer life exhibits our calling as children. To come to the Father and rest in the love of the Beloved. He offers to take and benefit from God the Father. So if you are someone who has struggled in your life, and your prayer life could, could, if you could sum it up, could say, I just don't really know what to say. Jesus has a pattern to follow. Start with the Lord's Prayer and see how it continues to change and it continues to become personalized to you. If you feel like God is far off, if he's detached from your life and you're struggling to know the connections and to really come to, come to God with what you need, Jesus is calling you to persistence. Be persistent. And if you are someone who doubts God's goodness, if you're someone who looks at your external circumstances and they feel really bleak, Jesus is offering God the Father to be your provision and to live a life that God will answer all of your prayers in the best ways. It may not look as you think, but it will be answered. 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let that be kind of the thrust that leads us into this next week. Let's pray.